Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry Well, way back in, way back in 1949 or 1940, a man named Irvin Berlin was staying at the La Quinta Hotel in La Quinta, California. And suddenly, he was there on a business trip, and suddenly he called his secretary into his room, and he said, Get your pen, grab your pen, and take down this song. I just wrote the best song I've ever written. Heck, he said, I just wrote the best song that anybody has ever written. And the song that he wrote was that song, White Christmas. It was released in 1942. Irving Berlin wrote the song. And who sang it? Bing Crosby. Yep. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Berlin's prediction may actually be true. Because according to them, when it comes to actual physical sales, Bing Crosby's White Christmas is the number one best-selling single of all time. It has sold more than 50 million single copies, and the song itself, in other versions, has sold over 100 million copies. Red and green may be the colors that we think of with Christmas, but apparently everyone dreams of a white Christmas. This December, we've been talking about different colors, the different colors of Christmas. And I talked about the Christmas green, and it reminds us, it reminds us of eternal life. And it reminds us of how our spiritual faith is meant to grow and mature our spiritual development. Last week, we talked about the Christmas red and how red reminds us that there's a spiritual battle that's taking place over our hearts. And it reminds us that there's a victory that has been won by Christ, by the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, I do want to turn our attention to the color white. And let's let the color white, that white of Christmas, let's have it remind us of the grace of God, of his mercy, and of his forgiveness. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He said, white is not the mere absence of color. It is a shining and affirmative thing. It's as fierce as red, as definite as black. God paints in many colors, but he never paints so gorgeously as when he paints in white. Now I know, I know that we can sing the song, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, but I full well know that not everybody likes the cold 
of the Christmas season. In fact, we have a good number of people here in our congregation that bail out of it. They take off for the winter. They head south and they stay south. I keep telling them one of these times they're going to open their suitcase and I'm going to come crawling out. You know, most of us don't like the slush and the muck and the gloominess that the snow turns into. But you can't really deny the beauty of a new, fresh, fallen snow. A fresh, new snow is a picture of purity. It's a symbol of innocence. Psalm 51, verse 7 says, Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And then Isaiah spoke these words of the Lord in Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. When, when Bing Crosby sang the song, White Christmas, when he released that song, America had just gone to war. It was a very unsettling time in our history. Families were in fear. They were afraid that their loved ones would be called off, sent to war, and then they were afraid would they ever come back. And so the thought of a white Christmas was a a, a song of comfort. It filled them with hope. In the days of Isaiah, God's people were also living in an anxious world. And they were also looking for hope. They didn't know it, But they were waiting for Christmas. They were waiting for the day that God would send his son, give his son to the world. They didn't know it, but they were waiting for grace. Because grace is what takes the stain of our sin and washes it clean. Grace is where our crimson sin becomes as white as snow. Yeah, a clean, fresh, fallen snow is a really good metaphor for mercy and for grace. Because a blanket of snow can cover up any ugly mess. I remember years ago, I was driving down the road, and it was snowing, and the snow was collecting. And as I'm coming down the road, I could see up ahead of me this yard and all these mounds and formations of snow. And I thought, that is so cool looking. That's so beautiful. And it wasn't until I got up to the intersection and actually stopped and realized that the yard was actually full of all these broken down cars and all this debris, but it was just mounded over with this new white snow. And it looked so pretty. What snow does for the landscape Grace does the same thing for our soul. It covers, it covers over the sin, and it makes it beautiful. We know the story of David. David was a man who was devoted to the Lord. But David had a wandering eye, and it led to lust. And in turn, the lust led to an affair. The affair led to a cover-up. The attempt to cover it up put a man's life on the line. And then on the line, his life was taken And that was an ugly mess. It was an ugly mess. It was filled with sin and guilt, shame, sorrow, regret. It was this ugly mess. And initially, David tried to cover it up. He tried to cover up his sin with more sin. And it just kept getting uglier and uglier. 
Finally, he confronted, or he was confronted with what he had done. He confessed, he repented, and he turned back to the Lord. He accepted his guilt, he accepted his consequence, and then he let God cover over his sin. It was David that wrote that psalm that I read. Psalm 51, wash me and make me whiter than snow. David wrote that. He also wrote Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who lets the Lord cover over his sins. Blessed is the one who lets the Lord cover their filth and their failures with the beauty and the wonder of grace. Christmas is most definitely all about God's grace. You can hear it in the Christmas carols. Oh, holy night, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Then you have, O little town of Bethlehem, cast out your sin and enter in, be born to us today. And hark the herald angels sing, Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. I love, I love the message of those Christmas carols. But you know, I have to admit, sometimes I wonder why they had to write so fancy. Why did they have to write those Christmas carols with all of that lofty language? Christmas songs are notorious for getting all mixed up, mixed up and misunderstood. We Three Kings of Orient are often gets turned into We Three Kings of Porridge and Tar. In Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the verse that says, With angelic hosts proclaim, often gets heard with jelly toast proclaim. Walking in a winter wonderland, this one I've known, walking in a winter wonderland, in the meadow we can build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. For years growing up, I thought that was Parsley Brown, and I would sing it that way. We got married. I don't remember how many Christmases it was, but I'm singing the song in the kitchen one day, and Leanne goes, what are you saying? And I said, singing the song, Parsley Brown. I didn't know. It didn't make any sense to me, but I sang it. She said, that's not what it is. <laughs> it didn't make, then that verse will conspire as we dream by the fire. I always thought it said we would perspire as we dream by the fire. <laughs> at, least, at least that made sense to me. You know. And maybe that's one of the reasons why that song, White Christmas, is so popular. It's hard to mess that up. I mean, that's pretty, pretty simple. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. That, that color white is found in the Christmas story. In, in Luke 2, verse 4 through 7, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Now, the text doesn't outright say it. So I did a little research, because I really wondered if the cloth that Mary wrapped Jesus in happened to be white. 
And as much as I wanted to find out that it was, there is no, the color's never really specified. It's never made definite. However, because of the simple background of Joseph and Mary and the humble sight of the birth, most people do assume that it probably was white that was the swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. Then you look again at Luke 2, verse 8 through 16, it continues, and it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, probably white, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those to whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. On the night of Jesus' birth, a group of shepherds saw this incredible vision of these angels. And the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And once again, the brilliance of that shining light, the glory, isn't specified by a color, but there's nothing brighter than pure white. White has always represented, in a sense, white has always represented purity. And that's exactly why Jesus was given. He was given so that we can be innocent and pure. He was given so that we could be washed whiter than snow. That night when the shepherds bowed in worship, even with the vision of angels still fresh in their minds, they could never guess what the future was for that baby. They could never guess that. They could never guess what that baby would grow up to do and how it would impact the entire world. What about us? Do we really stop and embrace who Jesus is and what that means? Do we understand that without Christmas, without Jesus being given, our filth, our sin would be exposed? It would be seen. There'd be no sacrifice to cover it. There'd be no blanket of white snow over us. All of our greed, all of our lust, all of our pride, our selfishness, our mean, calloused, sometimes hateful thoughts, our spite-filled attitudes, our apathy, our lack of compassion, all of our sinful actions and attitudes would be laid out there right for everyone to see. It would be exposed. It would convict us and it would condemn us to the punishment that we deserve. That's how it would be without Jesus. That's how it would be without grace. And the, the Apostle Paul understood. He understood how amazing grace is. And he called it a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, for it's, by, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift 
of God. I got online and I did some checking because I wanted to find out what should be considered if you're trying to buy the perfect gift. If you're trying to get the perfect gift for somebody, what are some things that should be considered? How do you get the right and perfect gift for someone? I've told this story before, but one of our first Christmases together, I got my wife a bread box. That is not the perfect gift for Christmas, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. If anybody got your wife a bread box, go take it back and get something else that's not the right gift for Christmas. So what do you do? What, here are some suggestions that I read. Number one, give from the heart. The advice suggested was to let your care and your concern for the person guide you in choosing a gift. Let the gift be motivated by love. In other words, give something that means something. Give something personal. That's exactly what God did. He gave because he loved us. His heart led him to give. And he gave something very personal. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved you so much, he gave you a gift from his heart. Another tip given when you want to give the perfect gift, give something that the person would not or could not get on their own. Well, again, that's exactly what God did. Our sin problem was something we cannot fix. We don't have the resources. We don't have the ability to cleanse our hearts and renew our spirits. We don't have that ability, but God does. So he gave us something that we can't give ourselves. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. If you belong to Christ, you won't be punished. The Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. The law of Moses can't do this because our selfish desires make the law weak. But God set you free when he sent his own son to be like us sinners and to be a sacrifice for our sins. God used Christ's body to condemn sin. He did this so that we would do what the law commands by obeying the spirit instead of our own desires. God gave to us what we cannot do for ourselves. He gave us Jesus. Even with the word of God and his commands we still wouldn't be able to make ourselves right. We cannot earn our forgiveness and we cannot be reconciled with God by our own initiative. So God gave us Jesus. And then there was one more suggestion for giving the perfect gift. Give something of great value. Sometimes the gift is special because of the value that's attached to it. The price that was paid for the gift makes that gift even more special. There's an old Christmas episode of Little House on the Prairie. In the episode, everyone in the Ingalls family was trying to figure out what to get each other for Christmas. They wanted to make it special because it was their first Christmas on the prairie. And Laura noticed her mom looking at a stove at the local mercantile and Charles, her husband, also noticed this, so he decides to take a job repairing some wagon wheels, and instead of payment, he intends on trading his service for the stove, but when he went to purchase the stove, he discovered it had already been sold. What he didn't know till Christmas morning was that Laura had sold her pony 
to buy the stove for her mom. The stove became so much more of a gift because of what Laura was willing to give up for it. You know, it has been said that grace can be seen as an acronym. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, G, God's riches at Christ's expense. Think about, think about what God gave up for you. Think about what he gave up for you, the value of that. Think about what Jesus gave up for you. Christmas is all about the perfect gift. It's all about Jesus. Jesus was laid in a manger, probably in white swaddling clothes. Years later, he was laid in a tomb in white burial clothes. And someday, maybe soon, I hope soon, someday he will come again. And Revelation pictures him riding on a white horse. Revelation also pictures a great crowd that is gathered in heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Over and over again, Revelation gives us this picture, describes God's people as being clothed in white. Now, remember, Revelation is a book of symbolism. It's a picture book. And so I don't believe that our only clothing choice in heaven is going to be a white robe. I don't think that's the only clothing choice we're going to have in heaven. But the white color is meant to represent our innocence. It represents that all of our filth, all of our stain with sin has been washed away. In Revelation 7, an elder in the vision of heaven asks a question. Revelation 7, verse 13 through 17. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes. Did you notice? The only way to have a white robe is to have it washed. And did you notice what it's washed in? It's washed in the blood of the Lamb. The only way we can wear white robes, figuratively, is if they've been washed, literally, in the blood of the Lamb. The only way we can be saved from our sins is to be saved by grace. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth. We celebrate because we know that his birth led to his death. And it was Jesus' death that gives us the gift of grace. Thanks for listening. 
Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the Word of God be living and active in your life.